0: We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans and the 13th chapter, the book of Romans and the 13th chapter this morning. I'll be reading and then preaching today on Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. I invite you to follow along as I read out loud. Here Paul writes, beginning in verse 8 of Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the love or the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. With the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit We thank you for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we would ask now for the Spirit's help, that he would be our teacher and our guide, that he would reveal to us the truth of your word and help us to hear it and apply it in such a way that our thinking is transformed and renewed and our lives are changed for the glory of God. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. As Christians, you and I are not free to disregard our duty to show honor to others, but rather we are duty-bound to show honor to those who have been placed in our path in the kind providence of God. In fact, we saw last week in verses 1 through 7 of Romans 13 that our duty to show honor to others extends even to those we encounter outside of the Christian assembly and to those who exercise rule over us. For Paul made it clear that the civil magistrate who is responsible for maintaining civil order, which we benefit from, is deserving of our honor and deserving of our respect. And if we respect him, if we honor him, we can expect the blessings of a peaceful and a quiet and a godly and a dignified life. Because when we demonstrate honor and respect within God's appointed order, we greatly reduce the possibility of conflict, which could hinder and disrupt the forward advancement of the gospel— And we get to see the gospel honored, which can only take place as we live lives that are consistent with the gospel. So we need to fulfill this duty that we have to show honor in whatever way we are commanded to express it, so that others, and especially those outside of the Christian community, can see the proof of our faith. The proof of our faith. And yet simply showing honor and respect to the civil magistrate, to the governing authorities, does not fulfill the full extent of our Christian duties in this area, but rather our obligations extend as widely as the law of God itself. For you'll remember that when Jesus was asked... Which was the greatest commandment? He replied in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40 with these words, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself." On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And here in our sermon text this morning, Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 11, the Apostle Paul teaches that our duty to show honor is firmly grounded within God's commandment to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor, and it is fulfilled when we genuinely show love. For when we genuinely and fervently love one another as Christ has loved us, we perform those acts which uphold, which support the spirit of God's law. And not only do we do those things that are positive, but we refrain from those actions that discourage or dishonor those we are called to love. Paul begins to unfold these spiritual principles for us here, beginning in verse 8. Of Romans chapter 13, where he writes, O oh, no one anything except to love one another. O oh, no one anything except to love one another. And of course, in saying this, Paul is not saying that we should try to be without obligation to anyone because Paul already acknowledged in verse 7 that we all have obligations to other people that should be acknowledged and fulfilled. For example, when it comes to our obligations towards the civil magistrate, we are obligated to show him respect as a servant of God for our good, and we are to pay our taxes, as we saw last Sunday, that are lawfully owed to the civil magistrate as he carries out his God-appointed responsibilities. And it would not be loving, nor would it be lawful on our part to ignore our debts to him and to act as though we had no obligations to him at all. For to ignore our obligations would be to place a burden upon him rather than showing him honor and respect. And of course, this is what Paul is getting at here in verse 8. For when Paul says, Owe no one anything, he is not saying, ignore your debts, He is not saying pretend like you have none, but he is saying, be diligent to fulfill your debts. Leave none of them undone. Be diligent to fulfill your debts so that you are not unnecessarily burdening others, but you are actually being a blessing to them instead. Not a burden, but a blessing, for love does not seek to add to others' burdens. But love seeks to relieve those burdens instead. And so Paul is not saying here that we can simply declare ourselves free from all obligations. Because God's moral law and our civil laws as well prevent us from behaving in such an unloving manner. Nor is Paul saying here that we are prohibited by these words in verse 8 from incurring any kind of financial indebtedness whatsoever. I mention this here because some commentators, in in trying to stress the need to be good stewards of our finances, have suggested a, a, a fairly narrow rendering or understanding of this passage, and they've suggested that Paul is teaching here that Christians should never incur financial debts of any kind. fact, we just talked about taxes last week and in the text preceding this, and so some would say that the emphasis here is, is financial, whether these debts be in the form of loans or mortgages or some other type of indebtedness, because these debts can be ruinous to a person's financial health, and certainly Christians should be very wise and very cautious about the use of financial debt. However, the main point that Paul is talking about here is spiritual in nature, rather than strictly financial. For while failing to honor our financial debts can damage our testimonies before men, failing to acknowledge and to pay our spiritual debts to others, and especially our obligation to love our neighbor as ourselves is a violation of God's moral law. And so while we should always be diligent not to be a burden on others, it is important to understand that there is one spiritual debt which we will always owe to our neighbors. One spiritual debt that we will always owe, and that is our obligation to love them, to love them. Of course, this is the reason Paul could say here in verse 8, except to love one another. Because our duty, our obligation to love one another, stands out above all other human obligations we have. Our duty to love one another deserves to be at the forefront of our thoughts as we interact with one another, whether the ones that we interact with are the civil magistrates, the governing authorities, our fellow believers, or our neighbors in general. And the reason that our obligation to love one another is to be our primary focus in our human relationships is tied directly to God's revealed will through his moral law. It's tied directly to the moral law. For our obligation to love our neighbor is rooted in the law of God. It is rooted in the will of God as expressed in the Old Testament under Moses and as it was summarized and expounded on by our Lord Jesus Christ who was greater than Moses as he gave us what he called a new commandment in John 13, verses 34 and 35, which Bo read for us this morning. For under Moses, the obligation of God's people to love their neighbors as themselves was originally presented to them in the giving of the moral law, what we call the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter twenty and particularly with respect to man, our obligation to men, in verses 13 through 17. For in the moral law, and especially the the second table of the law, God defined for the people through five separate commands what love for one's neighbor does and does not do, or what love for one's neighbor really looks like in terms of obedience to God and a real concern for the good of others. And upon the receipt of God's moral law, God's people could no longer claim to be ignorant of what loving their neighbors as themselves meant. And by the way, you and I cannot claim to be ignorant as to what loving our neighbors as ourselves meant. For to murder, or to commit adultery, or to steal, or to bear false witness, or to covet anything that belonged to our neighbors was revealed to be a failure to fulfill God's law. And throughout the Old Testament period, the people repeatedly demonstrated their inability to fulfill God's commands to love their neighbor. In fact, in many ways as we read the Old Testament, it is a testimony to the inability of God's people to keep the law of God perfectly, especially with respect to loving one another. And this is true despite the fact that the moral law of God, with its commands to show love for one's neighbor, was repeated throughout the Old Testament. In fact, it was repeated and represented to the people later in the book of Deuteronomy. Or if you've noticed in your reading of the scriptures before in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have a representation of the law of God to God's people. And it's in the exact same way that it was defined back in Exodus chapter 20. And yet, although it was repeated, although it was represented, the people of God failed to obey it. Of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ came... And he taught on our obligation to love our neighbors as ourselves. He did so building on that very same foundation. Where did Jesus begin to teach on this truth? He began with the law of God. For our obligation to love one another under the New Testament is still rooted in God's moral law and therefore when Jesus taught his disciples about their obligation to to love one another he did not hesitate to deliver his teaching to them in the form of a commandment in the form of a commandment and it was appropriate that Jesus give a commandment because Jesus is the lawgiver And in his exposition of what it actually means to love one's neighbor and to love one another more specifically, Jesus delivered what he identified as something new, something new. He declared in John chapter 13 and verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And yet in one sense, brethren, our Lord's command to love one another was not entirely new, was it? In one sense, it was not entirely new. For as Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary, this commandment was as old as the law of God itself, and it was the second great commandment in the law of Moses. In fact, speaking in another place in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7, John speaks of the command to love one another as being from the beginning. So, in that sense, it's not new. The subject that Jesus was addressing here in John 13 was not entirely foreign to his disciples. If they knew anything of the law of God, if they knew anything of the law given under the Old Testament, they knew something of this command. However, there were several ways in which our Lord's command to love others was new in the context of John 13. First, it was new because Jesus now established it as one of the greatest commandments of his kingdom under the New Testament or under the new covenant, and not just under the law of Moses. So no one can say today, hey, that commandment to love one another is simply Old Testament. No, it's foundational to the kingdom of God in the new covenant as well. Second, Jesus declared it to be a new covenant because with this command, he brought a new and greater emphasis upon it. A new and greater emphasis upon it. In fact, Jesus takes this glorious commandment, this commandment from the beginning, and like a publisher issuing a new edition of an old book, Jesus highlights and enlarges upon it. And then thirdly, this command from Jesus to love one another is new in the sense that it provides us with a new standard, a new standard by which to judge whether it is being fulfilled by us, and that new standard was identified by Jesus in verses 34 and 35 of John 13. For Jesus declared loved one another. How? Just as I have loved you. There's the standard. You also are to love one another. Why? For by this, by this love, by this demonstration of love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love For one another. So, as God's command for us to love one another has been revealed throughout the Bible, and I simply wanted to summarize for you very quickly there how it has been revealed from the Old Testament to the New, as it was revealed throughout the Bible, and as it was raised to its highest possible standard through the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 13, so we are to understand that we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love one another as a way of fulfilling the moral law of God, as a way of showing honor to others. Now, how does all this relate to our text here in verse 8 of Romans 13 then? Why is it relevant to you and I? It's relatable, and it's relevant to our text here because Paul wants us to see that fulfilling the moral law of God is not possible without loving our neighbors. It is not possible without loving our neighbors. And yet, by the same token, it's not possible to love our neighbor without first understanding what the law teaches and how knowing Christ affects our obedience to it. So what does Paul do next here in our text? Well, he helps us to see how the commandments of the moral law assist us and guide us, even as believers who are living under grace today, in defining what it means to fulfill our duty to love our neighbor in terms of what we should not do. In terms of what we should not do. Because let us remember that Paul has already instructed us not to become a burden to others. And we can become a burden to others if we disregard the clear prohibitions of God's moral law. And what are some of the commandments which make up the moral law of God with respect to our duty to love our neighbor? Well, it's interesting to observe that Paul lists four commands here in Romans thirteen nine, and it's interesting that all of them are negative. All of them involve a do not because these are often the ones that we struggle with the most. In fact, Paul begins by referencing first the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Then he mentions the sixth commandment, you shall not commit murder. Then the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And then lastly, Paul skips to the tenth commandment, you shall not covet. And noticeably missing from Paul's list here in verse 9 is the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Now, why Paul doesn't mention the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false false witness, is, is a mystery of sorts. Commentators have many suggestions why this might be the case, but none of us know exactly for sure. But it's, it's likely that Paul didn't intend to list all of the commandments separately, nor did he intend to list them in exact order. Because as I said before, he mentions some commandments before others, as they're listed in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5, for example. Rather, the Apostle Paul is simply listing them randomly. He's probably listing them as they're coming to mind, and he assumes that we will recognize that he's doing this not because he's being sloppy or not because he's being lazy, but because he's calling attention to the obvious fact that all of these commandments, regardless of what order they appear, can be summarized under the heading of the commandments. In fact, Paul plainly acknowledges here in verse 9 that there are other commandments, namely the ninth commandment that he did not mention that are being referred to, and that all of the commandments point collectively to what we must not do in order to hinder love being shown towards our neighbors. How does obeying the seventh commandment, for example, you shall not commit adultery, demonstrate our love for our neighbors. Well, obeying the seventh commandment, brother, and thou shalt not commit adultery, demonstrates that we care about our neighbors enough not to dishonor or to destroy the most sacred and intimate of all human relationships that they possess, and that is the bond of marriage or holy matrimony, and that we will guard our hearts in order to protect their marriages as well as to protect our own, for marriage is honorable in God's sight. And how does obeying the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, display our love for our neighbors? Well, it demonstrates to them that we care about their lives. We care about them as people made in the image of God. We hold their lives to be precious in the sight of God. And therefore, we would never take their life unless we were justified by God's word in doing so, because murder is fundamentally an act of hatred and not an act of love. What about the eighth commandment, you shall not steal? How does obeying this commandment show love to our neighbors? It it shows love to our neighbors by demonstrating that we respect their right to private property. We respect their right to live without fear that what they possess will be unjustly taken from them for stealing dishonors others, stealing robs others of the blessings that they have received from the hand of God. And then what should we conclude about our duty to obey the 10th commandment? Contained in God's moral law, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your your neighbor's man servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, we must conclude that to covet anything that is our neighbor's is a selfish and unloving act. Again, it goes back to love. Love is at the heart of the matter. Furthermore, when commentators are, excuse me, when covetousness is not guarded against and immediately put to death, it can lead to all kinds of sins and evil deeds. In fact, the Bible is full of examples of men, whether it be Achan, or whether it be Judas Iscariot, or whether it be Demas, who loved this present world and forsook the Apostle Paul, who came to a tragic and sad end because they possessed and they acted with a covetous heart. So as Paul lists here in verse 9 of Romans 13, this, this partial list of commandments urging us not to do certain things, not to commit adultery, not to murder, not to steal, not to covet what others have, we should recognize where the dangers are to us. And there are dangers to us when we disregard or ignore these commandments. And we should understand that the only way to refrain from doing these things by the grace of God, is by loving our neighbors as we do ourselves. For no person who possesses good sense and spiritual discernment thinks about doing harm to himself, but he cares for himself. And this same principle must apply to our care for others. Therefore, beloved, when we contemplate what it means to love our neighbors— it is not wrong to consider what we naturally wish for ourselves and how we might express that same wish for others. And yet the Christian is to go well and far beyond that. For the Apostle Paul states elsewhere in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that the Christian is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of conceit, But in humility, the Christian is to count others more significant than himself. He is not to look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Because loving one's neighbor demands that we first place the interests of others above our own, and that we have a commitment to pursue their good instead of ours. In fact, after writing in verse 9 of Romans 13 of the different things that a believer must not do because they would dishonor and disregard another's rights or life or relationships or happiness, the Apostle Paul simply concludes here in the beginning of verse 10 with the words, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And this should be the guiding principle on how we interact with others under the heading of love. For on many occasions in our lives, maybe you've had an occasion of this recently, we we might ask ourselves, what is required of me in order to show genuine love to this individual And when should I do everything in my power not to pursue a given course when it involves the life of my neighbor or my brother in Christ? And Paul's answer here in our text in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 is quite clear. We are not to act in any way that wrongs our neighbor. We are not to act in any way that wrongs or harms our brothers, but we are to put away evil entirely. And this involves not only the way that we treat them, but the thoughts and the intentions that we have towards them. In fact, let me repeat that. It involves not just the way that we treat them outwardly, but the feelings and the hearts and the intents that we have towards them. For it is possible to do something that appears outwardly good towards our neighbor, and yet it proceeds from a heart that is full of malice or full of resentment. Are full of evil intent. And so, what you and I owe to our neighbor is not only the absence of evil, but the will and the intention to bless them, to bless them, to promote their good through any lawful means that we can. Why is this so important? Well, Paul states here at the end of our text, here in verse 10, that they are important because love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. What exactly does this mean? Well, Matthew Henry, who I quoted from earlier in another place, suggested that this means that love fulfills the purpose for which the law was given. Love fulfills the purpose for which the law was given. For love both restrains us from evil and it constrains us. To do good. And this is what God intended for us to be restrained from evil, constrained towards good. Another commentator, John Murray, suggests that love is the fulfilling of the law in the sense that it meets the law's demand in ever increasing measures. It meets the law's demands in ever increasing measures for when we love in the way that we are commanded by Jesus Christ to love. And of course, this is only possible, brethren, through the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a completeness, there's a wholeness in our response to others for what was lacking is now supplied by love. What was previously lacking is now supplied by love. However, brethren, whatever the fulfilling of the law entails, one thing is absolutely certain. And that is that Jesus Christ himself also claimed to fulfill the law in and by his own person. Jesus Christ also claimed to fulfill the law in and by his own person. In fact, Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that the Lord Jesus did. That he did. Including the law to love his brethren. Especially to love his brethren. Therefore, when we look to Jesus Christ today, we see not only what full obedience to the law of God is, what full obedience to the law of God looks like, but we also see how love for one's neighbor, for one's brethren is the fulfillment of it. We see that. For when Jesus called us to love one another, he told us to do so after his own example. Right? We are to love one another as he has loved us. We are to do so in a way that we show his love through us to those that we interact with. And brethren, as we consider these truths this morning, may we be diligent in following it. May we be diligent in observing, prayerfully considering, and obeying the example of Jesus Christ when it comes to how we should love. We're loving our brothers, loving our neighbors is the second great commandment under the law of God. And we are much poorer, and our neighbors are much poorer when we neglect the obligation we have to love. Let us love by the power of the Spirit. Let us seek to be a blessing to others and not a burden. May God give us the grace to do that this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your moral law that sets before us your revealed will. And embedded in that law is a commandment not only to love you supremely, but to love our neighbor as well, to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. And we would ask, Father, that you would help us to grasp this message this morning, to think of it prayerfully, to ponder its significance, to evaluate where we fall short of it, and to take those steps under the leadership of the Holy Spirit this morning, to love one another as we should, for surely... We owe love to others. We should owe no man anything in terms of being a burden to him, but we should certainly give them that love which is owed to them as our brother or sister, as, a, as our neighbor in the kingdom of God. Bless us this morning as we accept this truth. Bless us as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, as we reflect upon your love for us there. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name.